as I was thinking about preaching this week, uh, there are a few ways to preach. There, there is uh, what they call exegesis, and this is what I try and do. This is um, when you study the words of Scripture and see, look at the text in front of you, and you see how it is meant in its original context and what it means for us today and how the Holy Spirit might apply it to our lives. Exegesis is done with prayer, it's done with consideration, it's done with reading the text, but also hearing the text, not only with my ears, but with your heart, and so that you can look at it, and so you can stand up and preach and not try and be the biggest hypocrite in the world, because it's really hard to do. And this is what I strive to do each and every week. I try to leave all my opinions out of it, unless they are shaped by Scripture. This, again, is not always easy to do, but I, this is an attempt I make to stick with the scripture that's in front of us. And then there's what they call eisegesis, and there are preachers that do this, and I do my best to not do this, but this is where you use uh, certain verses of the Bible, and you try and get whatever you want to say that day. You, you put a verse in there that'll work, and, and, and I do my best never to do this. I don't want to like ever get on my own soapbox like as there are opinions that I have that would not be helpful for you. There are things that I believe that I don't think that you guys have to believe or should believe. And even things about scripture, things that I'm deeply convicted about, I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive in each and every one of us and can, um, we can benefit from each other's different thoughts in this. And so I try to leave out eisegesis and and let the scriptures bring to life what is there. And I've loved preaching in the Psalms because over the last number of years, there have been certain texts that come up at certain times, and and I'm amazed and blessed. And um, even though I make this mistake sometimes, this week, I am grateful that Psalm 142 comes this week in this time, in this country, and I can talk about the racism that is in our country and the events that are happening right now without doing eisegesis. We can come straight from the text into this. And I was excited when I got to Psalm 142 and I started studying it. The text lends itself to exactly, exactly the troubles that are in our world right now. And not only that, but we are invited into these troubles to look at it. In fact, One commentary that I have, uh, as I opened it up, it says this. This simple song is a deeply felt prayer of lament by a man who has been forsaken, persecuted by people who are mightier than he, and brought to the verge of despair by their malicious plots. He offers a fervent and moving lament which which arises out of the most intense physical and mental suffering, to the God who is the only refuge left to him after even his friends have turned their backs on him. What can no longer be clearly recognized were prevented uh, from caring by the violent measures taken by his persecutors. And so with that, let us pray Psalm 142. A mascal of David, when he was in the cave, a prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my troubles before him. 
When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. One of the things in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I wish I would have done better when preaching the entire sermon series in the Psalms is I wish I would have paid more attention to the superscriptions given to these Psalms. These superscriptions put us in a head and a heart space where we're supposed to belong for these prayers. Places and circumstances that we might not understand had, but had we not been given that heading, but since we've been giving the heading, uh, we can dive into it and look and, and strive to understand where this text is coming from. Today, this superscription is a maskal of David when he was in a cave, a prayer. A maskal is simply, all scholars believe it's just a musical term, so this was a song. And, and so this is a song of David when he was in a cave. I, I'm looking here, here and then those online. Uh, I don't know if any of us have ever been backed into a cave by a king or a ruler of a country. I, I don't believe the compilers of scripture, when they put this psalm in there, thought that most people who would read it know exactly what it's like to be have their back put again in a cave. But we are invited to see the power of this prayer. We're invited to see and look into a life that is different than our own and invited to pray about it. In this prayer, since we've never experienced it, we get to die to our own worldviews and get invited into one that is different than ours, one that expands ours, one that invites us to see things and pray about things as God would have us do. Here we see David, before he was king, he was on the run from Saul. He was being forced to retreat and hide in a cave. He was literally hemmed in on every side. He was backed into a corner, being unjustly persecuted by a stronger force than himself. In fact, it was his government that backed him into a cave. His king and fellow countrymen who were against him. And he prayed this prayer because he was sick of feeling this way. Once again, the timing of this particular psalm couldn't be more timely. Because we are hearing this prayer ring out in our streets across this nation and across the world. They are not using these exact words, but the heart of the prayer is the same and we get to join in with this prayer. And I'd like to know what the trumped up charges against David were. What brought the armies out to seize him? We, we know the full story from Scripture that David was a good citizen, a good soldier, loyal to the king. He, he wasn't perfect, but everybody knew who David was. So what was the story that they made up about him? Does he, was it, oh, he's defying the king? Or this man is divisive. 
He's conspiring to get the throne. He's trying to divide the country. He's trying to get everybody on his side rather than just living under authority of the king. And yet we can see from scripture that David was submissive to authority. He was a humble servant. And yet he was running from his life and backed into a cave. I've never been trapped in a cave. And I've never been had my back up against the wall in injustice. I've never felt like my back was against the wall because of the government, even though I've never agreed with everything that they've done. I don't know what this feels like, and yet I get to feel this prayer and pray this prayer for those who feel like David. I get to be opened up by the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures to feel for someone else in whom their shoes I have not walked. I get an inside look, and I'm supposed to look. We're supposed to look at this. We get to, we need to look at an honest and godly prayer of someone who is sick of injustice that is brought upon them. We don't get to stand by and watch David suffer. We get to peek in and spend time and pray about it. This is the prayer of someone who feels like injustice is real, even if we don't understand it. But can also be the prayer of an ally who wants to stand up against injustice, even if they can't relate to the prayer. This prayer is a plea. It is a form of begging from a low place. It is an angst-filled begging for favor rather than persecution. They want to be shown the mercy that everybody else has. This begging has feelings, deep feelings, long suppressed feelings of injustice. And it takes great faith to pray this prayer. You are literally and metaphorically in darkness. You're not sure if you'll be heard. But you know what you do? You cry out anyway. You use your voice. And in that darkness, of you pour out your prayer. And it's not like a nice pour like here's a glass of water. It's this, it's a gushing, it's a fast pour. Again, an angst-filled pouring out against the injustice that you might feel. It has the feelings of tears flowing down to form puddles. It has the feel of shedding tears even to the point of blood. As Jesus even prayed this way in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood. Complete agony engulfed him. He was being poured out. He was empty. He was wailing, hoping against hope that he might be heard. And that's what this prayer is. I tell my troubles to the dark because in faith... Even though I can't see it, I believe that I will be heard. I believe the words that you will deal bountifully for me, even if I don't see it yet. And this is how our black brothers and sisters feel in this country. These protests that are going on are, please, please hear us. We want mercy. We want justice. We are pouring out tears and our blood so that we might be heard. We are hearing about troubles and injustices that a whole group of people have felt. And you know what we get to do if we're not in that group? We get to listen. We get to listen because God is listening and God has invited us into this prayer. We get to pray this prayer as a prayer of allies. We get to hear and feel and pray with our brothers and sisters. When my spirit faints within me, God, you know the way. P. 
People are taking to the streets, to social media, talking to family members, because what else can we do? It's a form of giving up, and that's what God asks us to do, to give up and start asking God to show us His ways. I don't believe you have to go out into the streets and protest, but I do believe we have to listen. And then we have to walk the path that Jesus has for us. We get to fight for injustice that we see. We get to pray. We get to preach. We get to educate and hope for change. And I don't fully know my way in all this. But I'm seeking God for guidance and we all get to do that. God acts for justice. And historically he has used his Christians to be about his kingdom come as we already prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Yes, historically, Christians have also done some really bad things in the name of Jesus. But the true heart of the true gospel has also been revealed. Hospitals and schools and places of refuge have historically been set up by the church for people who are like this. Refugees have been greeted by people in the church because they want to show this other kingdom that God has. Christian, people who believe in Jesus have stood up against evil forces in this world and lived out their other kingdomness, God's kingdom where love and compassion and grace and mercy and true justice, not that just the kind of justice that uses force, comes in and defeats evil with the love of Christ. And this is what we get to do. This is what we get to be about. We get to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and the Holy Spirit's desire for justice. It's not about doing more. It's about hearing with our ears and our hearts the cries of others and seeking a way to show love. I love this verse that says, there's no one that takes notice of me. David felt this way, and so do our black brothers and sisters. They're trying to get us to hear us. The cry is when, when will we be heard? How long, O oh Lord, until our plight is seen? Trayvon Martin was shot to death. Michael Brown shot to death. Eric Gardner choked to death. Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy, shot to death. Alton Sterling shot by the police. Walter Scott shot in the back, in the back five times. Freddie Gray went to a coma and died in police custody. Philando Castile shot while being pulled over. Stephon Clark shot at least seven times. Breonna Taylor shot eight times. George Floyd suffocated to death with a knee on his neck. His last words were, I can't breathe. And he's also calling for his mama. All these deaths were of black Americans at the hands of the government that were supposed to protect and serve them. This is unjust, and it's gone on virtually unnoticed for far too long with very little, if any, change. There is no one who takes notice of me makes sense. There is no one who will do anything about it. This is a real prayer that we are hearing right now. A begging, a plea. Will somebody please do something about this? No one's noticing. But you know what? God notices. And we get to notice as His children. We get to notice too. I'm reminded that we are all limited. We are all invited by the superscription of this prayer to take a look, to notice, to recognize that even if this isn't our condition, we get to see into this condition without adding further, further persecution to those who are suffering. We are invited to 
not see the side of King Saul and the government's issues. We are invited into David's side, the suffering at the hand of that king. We're invited into David's camp, into the camp of Black Lives Matter. You don't have to agree or understand everything. In fact, I think it's almost impossible to. But we get to have an attempt at making the unseen seen and asking God to deal with it. The hope is that this persecuted person of faith will be surrounded by the worshiping community and be able to give thanks to God for His act of salvation. As we look on and we are invited, we are inviting people into the community of the persecuted. Jesus told us that we'd suffer. He did it. And there's no servant that is greater than his master. And Jesus gets this plight, this plight, and he gave his life for the life of his people so that one day they won't have to suffer like this forever. The anger and the rage that is seen from the exhaustion seems justified. In Houston, they brought a pastor, I couldn't figure out his name, who was in his 90s, who marched with Martin Luther King Jr., a man who has been fighting for this injustice for years and years. He is at the end of his life, and he is still fighting to be seen. Still fighting to be seen. Hope that I hope that this pastor is like the priest in the Gospels, who when he's at the end of his life's work, Mary brings Jesus to the temple. And this, this man, this priest, who's been promised to see God's Messiah, then he sees him and he says, I can go home now. I can go home now. I see that the promised one has come. I see that my life's work is done and I can go home because Jesus is on the scene and he promises to end all this plight. He promises to end racial inequality. This plight that we see is God's work. And then when the persecutors are yelling, say his name, with the response, George Floyd, they are saying, see us and let us no longer be hidden. For those who are not there, we get to listen. We get to see. We get to be invited into this. We don't have to fully understand, but we are invited in. And join in the prayers that they can be seen. That people that are different than us can be seen. We can all say his name, George Floyd. Fully confident that this, even that, is a biblical prayer. We can know that God looks and God sees and God knows his name and his image uh, that George Floyd was made in God's image. That George Floyd had God's love. And we can care about George Floyd because God cares about George Floyd. And not just George, George Floyd, but all those who are un, unseen. All those who are under the thumb of unjust persecution for the lowly and the weak, for the underclassed and the underprivileged. The Psalms are cries of the weak. That is why week after week I've been encouraging us to be weak and not pretend to be strong. Be someone who is in need because we need our Savior. Our strength comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone, not ourselves. We need grace. And by grace, we need to extend it to everyone. Grace is not limited 
as it seems by governmental, like governmental justice is. Our kingdom is far bigger than that. We get to prove that this world is wrong. We get to do this by becoming like Jesus who lived, who died, who was buried, and who rose again to bring God's perfect kingdom into this world. Jesus has already won the victory, and even though we can't fully see the victory, we know that it's here. Jesus comes through, uh, Jesus' uh, actions comes through now in the actions of Christ's followers. We are Jesus' hands and feet on this earth. The earth does not see God, but when we act in justice and love, we're acting like Jesus, and this broken and dying world can see that. We do this by showing love, by being peace, by striving to understand, protecting the weak and the poor, the poor, fighting against the injustice in our own hearts and in the world. We do this by hearing the, wrong, the wrongs of others and learning by them and bearing their pain. We do this by turning the other cheek and getting struck instead of striking back. We do this by going the extra mile. We die to our own world because we are invited into a better one, a Jesus one. I got this last idea from Reverend Al Sharpton. While he was preaching at George Floyd's funeral, he talked about this. One of the last things that George Floyd did was call out for his mom. It was kind of a surprise to learn that George Floyd's mom had been dead for years. And I love this picture. Maybe George Floyd was calling out for his mom because his, in, in those final moments of death, he could actually see his mom. And her arms were reaching out to him. She was in this other kingdom, this Jesus kingdom, calling to her son, George is safe to come home. It's good to hear. Jesus is here. He is just and He is kind. There is no more death and no more sickness. There are no more knees on your neck or racism. And we can all live for Jesus perfectly and without sin and get along. You can come home, George. It's safe. What is happening to you now will not be happening forever because it's not happening here. Come home, son. It's good here. Jesus is a good king and it's peaceful. This is the picture of the kingdom that we're invited to. Even if we can't do it perfectly, let's strive to live out the kingdom to come. Rather than our own views, let's pray that Jesus will come back so that this pain will be felt no longer. That we can feel like we've been dealt with bountifully just like this prayer ends. This is what I long for. I believe that this is what this scripture longs for. I believe that this is what God's long for. For those who have had a knee upon their neck, that God will deal bountifully with them as he's done for you and me. So Jesus, will you please come? We need you. We can't see justice perfectly. We can't see all the things that we need to see. But Lord, we're invited into this. So please, allow us to not shut our eyes, but to see your justice and to be your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.